As Catholics, we must pray for the clergy. In these times, we must, must, must pray for the good clergy, those priests who take great risks in order to provide the sacraments to the faithful in a world gone awry. This often requires ignoring the commands of the local ordinary and coming into conflict with the decrees of Caesar. And someday, it may mean refusing to break the sealed confession when Caesar demands it. Our duty also requires us to pray for the less-than-good priests, those clergymen who have forgotten what the priesthood means and have, as Our Lady of Good Success foretold, would turn the priesthood into something for personal gain. Today I have for you two stories, one of a good priest who is praying the, paying the price for loving his flock more than himself, and another about a priest who went astray and will pay for it. Please keep them both in your prayers. It is our duty as Catholics to pray for them. First, the story of the heroic priest, which comes to us by way of John Henry Weston's website. In a piece posted early on Friday, we are told that a priest beautified his parish and continued to offer the Mass and sacraments publicly throughout 2020. Quote, According to the Archdiocese of St. Louis, beautifying the church was part of a pattern of failing to comply with archdiocesan administrative policies and directives from the office of the bishop, end quote. Yes, you heard that correctly. At that time when almost no one was able to go to Mass, even beautifying a parish was unacceptable to the bishop. <laughs> what a time to be alive. And wait until you see some of what he did for his parish community. But first, let's get the facts. From the article, we get this, quote, a priest who brought beautiful art and liturgy to his parish has been forced into retirement, allegedly for disobedience. But his parishioners believe that both they and their tradition-loving priest are being punished for celebrating unencumbered masses. Father Ray Hager, now 60, was interviewed by one of the Archdiocese of St. Louis's own periodicals, the St. Louis Review, in 2018, after he oversaw the renovation of the sanctuary of St. Barnabas the Apostolic Catholic Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. As the magazine noted, Auxiliary Bishop Mark Revutuso consecrated the altar, and it had been 37 years since the church had had a major renovation. Now, Bishop Revutuso mentioned the beautification of the church as part of a quote-unquote pattern of failing to comply with archdiocesan administrative policies and directives from the office of the bishop. This includes decisions regarding changes to the infrastructure of St. Barnabas Parish, some of which were made without seeking proper approvals, and some of which were made in direct contrast to the direction given by both Archbishop Emeritus Robert Carlson and, most recently, Archbishop Rosansky. Rivid Husso wrote in his April 2021 letter to St. Barnabas parishioners, Father Hager has lived at the parish with his 94-year-old mother, when in March, Archbishop Rosansky, 63, gave the priest the choice to be transferred to another parish without his mother, note that, or to retire, Father Hagar picked retirement, end quote. There's more that I'll get to in a moment, but notice something here. There hadn't been a problem in 2018 when he renovated the parish. Think about that. But take a look at these pictures, which come courtesy of Mr. Weston's website, and he received them from a parishioner. For those watching on YouTube, you'll see what the parish looked like before. It was still in the traditional layout for a Catholic parish, meaning rows of pews, steps to an altar, that kind of thing, with no high altar for the traditional liturgy, though, and only the Cramner table for the offering of the new Mass. There was none of the questionable art that we see in more modern parishes, and it certainly isn't one of those hideous parish-in-the-round amphitheater setups that we see in so many parishes built since the Council. It would be a fitting location for a reasonable reverent Novus Ordo, but it's clear that the priest had other ideas here because in the after picture, we see 
beautiful additions, traditional backdrops, and of course the parish looking more like something from a prior better era. These are the changes he made, and you can see a young priest saying Mass at Orientum. It appears to be a Novus Ordo Mass given the lack of some of the items typically seen on the altar during a Latin Mass. But the members of this parish aren't convinced that this happened because of some unauthorized renovations. They're convinced that he was sent into retirement because he refused to embrace the zeitgeist of the culture. He refused to bow to Caesar and to, shall we say, have the Imago Dei encumbered during the Mass. It's a rare thing to see priests willing to do the things that way that they're supposed to be done, especially in this day and age when the local ordinary is demanding the priest and laity pinch incense to Caesar over these things. And did you catch something I said in that quote? That if he had accepted transfer, he would not have been permitted to take his 94-year-old mother with him. What a nice family-friendly bishop they have in Arch the Archdiocese of St. Louis, one who truly understands that the Catholic position is that sons take care of their parents personally, a duty this priest accepted and embraced, a duty that I've seen some of the better bishops, like Archbishop Sample in Portland, Oregon, promoting by leading by example. Archbishop Rosansky in St. Louis sounded like quite the guy. I wonder if he is friends with Cardinal Supich. But anyway, let's continue. The priest did his duties while the rest of us had a hard time accessing the sacraments, and members of that parish believe that is why he was removed. I mean, after all, this renovation, despite how I made it sound at the beginning, wasn't done in 2020. It was done in 2018. <laughs> there was no problem then, it seems. That this was all just one big happy excuse to remove the priest. The renovation became the excuse for not going along with Caesar's commands, especially for the offense of saying the Mass publicly without interruption. Imagine the horror. The priest acted as his forebears in the priesthood did in worse times and continued to offer the sacraments because he understood at the most basic level that what our world needs now is more masses said, not fewer, and the laity free from the stain of mortal sin, not the sacrament of penance being walled off from the laity. This priest did his duty, so please keep Father Ray Hager in your prayers. He's only 60, which is a full decade younger than the mandatory retirement age of the church and ponder if St. Louis has such an abundance of priestly vocations that they could spare a priest like this. Now, on the flip side, we have another story, not one of a priest doing his duty, but rather of a priest using his office for personal aggrandizement. A priest in New Jersey just admitted in a hearing to making off of half a million dollars in parish funds. This story came to my attention via the website Complicit Clergy, which has been a website that has been covering the Francis Pontificate and the state of the clergy for a lot longer than most others. The priest in question, Father Douglas J. Hefner, said the actions weren't exactly voluntary, that he was driven to do it. <laughs> kind of weird sounding if you ask me. You can find that story through the website I already mentioned or through nj.com. As usual, I have links to all my stories on my sources site, returntotradition.org. That's the name of this channel with a .org at the end. There, there'll be a Patreon pop-up, but you can skip past that, and you'll see the sources since I don't require a paywall to view where I get my stories from. But according to that story, quote, The revelation that the money was missing came in a private conversation between Hefner and Bishop James F. Cecchio. Hefner had come to Cecchio and said he borrowed approximately $500,000, the bishop told a gathering of a couple hundred parishioners in a Monday evening address. That figure is approximate because an internal audit is ongoing, end quote. Borrowed is an interesting word, and the diocesan authorities don't really know how much is actually missing since they have yet to conclude their audit. The diocese has promised to step in and care for the parish community and the attached Catholic school, which is good. Now, I only bring you that story to remind you that we need to pray for our priests, both the good and the ones who have fallen from grace. 
The job of the priest is an incredibly difficult one, and it doesn't usually come with much support, except from their brothers in the clergy. They need our support and our prayers. Perhaps if this priest had gotten the kind of support the church offered before things changed in the 60s and 70s, things would have been different. Most parishes don't have multiple priests on site like they did in better times, once upon a time. Many parishes used to have, sometimes would have several priests, not just one or two. This was, of course, before the vocations situation, where in some places one priest now says the Mass and hears confessions at multiple parishes in a weekend. Not only can he not properly minister to his flock in those situations, he himself becomes separated from his parish community, becoming little more than an administrator. So yes, the good priests and the not-so-good need our prayers. I'll close with this. Perhaps the finest book I've ever read on the priesthood comes from Fulton Sheen. That book, The Priest is Not His Own, is rich in advice for the priest and for the young man discerning his vocation. It is a rich work that the reader will ponder most every paragraph in it for the wisdom Sheen offered on the sacrificial nature of the priesthood. And I have a short quote from that book here. On the priesthood, Sheen writes, quote, Spiritual prosperity in a parish is produced by self-sacrificing priests who separate themselves from the spirit of the world. A worldly priest discourages people from coming to the Lord. St. Paul writes, Who can be our adversary if God is on our side? The eternal lover lives on in heaven, still making intercession for us. God's mercy never tires. We as priests speak for the dumb, atone for the sinful, plead for the Judases, and, and intercede for those who do not know what they are doing. We should give generously to every collection to which we ask the people to contribute. When we surrender to God, we get ourselves back ennobled and enriched. It is one thing to be popular, another to be influential. In the proportion in which we seek what the world can give, we become unable to give what the world needs. End quote. Heavy words from Fulton Sheen, and something to ponder. Now what do you think about this? Let me know your thoughts in the comments, please. For myself, I can say without reservation that when I get letters from priests, I'm always happy to see them, for the priests are all too often forgotten, and it reminds me that we have priests who, in their own time, do not succumb to the material offerings of the world that by themselves may not be sinful per se, but do offer distractions from God when engaged in overabundantly. So please, keep our priests in your prayers, and of course, as always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.